The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Welcome back to another episode of MASH Minute. We're a Movies by Minute podcast that analyzes the Robert Altman film about a mobile army surgical hospital. I'm Tierney Steele. I'm Megan Coleman. I'm Rick Ingham. And I'm Julia Ingham. Happy anniversary, happy anniversary, <laughs> happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy, 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 happy anniversary. <laughs> you beat me to it. I was going to interrupt here at the top and wish Julia a very happy wedding anniversary. We were married August 21st back in 2009, so this marks our 10-year anniversary, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate it than by sitting down and talking about yet another sex scene in yet another movie, because that's just how our guest spots tend to go. (laughs) They do. We talk a lot about sex. Yeah. On podcasts. Maybe for our adventure for the next 10 years that we have finished Mad Max or are in the process of finishing up Mad Max. Maybe our next adventure should be a sex advice podcast. (laughs) I mean, that's an option. Whatever. I don't know if it's a good option, but it is an option. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's how a lot of people feel about sex. You know, I'd rather I'd rather do an advice podcast than do a movie by minute that is just sex scenes. It's well. what Mad Max would want. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys mentioned your podcast. You're kind of celebrities now. I'm yeah. assuming you've gone Hollywood since I last spoke to you. <laughs> oh, oh, thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not to the extent that I would like, but what can I say? Did either of you mention that when it happened, or is this still us talking baseball and your listeners don't know what happened to us? I think half our listeners probably already know and have that quote tattooed somewhere on their body, and the other (laughs) half have no idea what we're talking about. So why don't you really briefly fill in the half of our listeners who aren't gazing lovingly at the ink on their skin? (laughs) (laughs) of your Movies by Minute podcast and how awesome it is. (laughs) So just as a little background, since 2017, Julie and I have been breaking down the Mad Max series of movies one minute at a time. And over the course of those years, we've slowly met steadily more and more important people. And as we started off our final season of Fury Road, we spoke to Mark Sexton, who was the script storyboard artist for the movie. Well, it just so happens that Mark Sexton works in the same office building as George Miller because he works on George Miller projects. And I guess in the process of us talking to him and him hanging around with the director of our movie, the director just started listening to us. And then as he was talking to IndieWire, he just happened to talk about how he wasn't sure if all the effort he was pouring into the movies was worth it. And then he heard this podcast called the Mad Max Minute talking about all the details and it's at that point that he knew it was all worth it and i'm like really george 
The Oscar wasn't hint enough. The millions of dollars wasn't hint enough. It took our rinky-dink little podcast. You never know what's going to hit. It's still awesome. It's something all right. <laughs> so, yeah, we were pretty floored. That was pretty incredible for us. Yeah, we got a few uh, new listeners out of that. We did. And you are currently releasing on Fury Road, correct? Yep. We go the easy route and only release three episodes a week, admittedly. But it works for us, and we are going to be releasing new episodes all the way up until December 2019. At which point you guys will turn into pumpkins... That dispense sex advice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is until George Miller makes another Mad Max movie. Yes. The fabled Mad Max Wasteland, which may or may not actually happen. Well, that same IndieWire article was kind of talking about the future of Mad Max and how there are a potential three movies. Yes. Two more Max-centric films, one Furiosa-centric film. Which we would, of course, cover as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That would be like the Fast and the Furious guys not talking about Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> now, Megan, do you feel better that even though I roped you into this crazy Movies by Minute podcasting world, we only have to talk about one movie? <laughs> sure. Except, uh, you know, I thought we were doing the TV show, and then you were like, ha, psych. I don't think I actually said psych out loud. <laughs> yeah, you probably did. Really? There was wine involved, actually, as well. To be, to be fair, fair but... we talk about the TV show quite a, a bit. <laughs> and I am going to talk about the TV show even today, because today we're talking about Minute 42, which starts with Radar singing during a noisy party and ends with Houlihan walking towards Frank Burns in her tent. And in between those, Robert Duvall utters... What I think is the thesis of the Frank Burns character, which carried over into the TV show. When she says, it's their disrespect for you, that's what I hate. He shrugs and says, I'm used to it. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why Frank's my favorite person to hate. (laughs) In a nutshell. It really tells you everything you need to know about this man. Now, remind me a little bit. Frank in the TV show, I don't remember him being so religious. Was he? Was, but I don't think he was as obnoxious about it. They definitely downplay it. I don't remember Frank so much as the English doctor. He was always the stuffy one that stood out to me. So Winchester's actually from Boston. Oh, okay. So it was a stuffy Boston accent and not a stuffy British accent. He was being a a Boston Brahmin. So it's kind of like they want to be British, but not, but they, you know, they're definitely American though. Okay. It's been a while. They want to be British, but not might be the most perfect description of snooty Boston society ever. It's true. We want to be British, but we don't. We're definitely American. We're definitely American. We threw that tea to the harbor for a reason, y'all, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, they wouldn't say y'all. That was me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Before we get into this tent, I just have to throw out into the world that we are seeing the fog of war around the loudspeaker. Get it? The fog going past the loudspeaker in our transition. So yeah, we're dumping you right into this movie here at minute 42, but I really do feel like you're getting a true Altman introduction. There's a party, everyone's talking at once, and then there's a awkward loudspeaker transition. The loudspeaker usage in this movie is pretty great. Not to skip too far ahead, but you would argue to say that the loudspeaker is probably your favorite part of this movie. Yes. In that it, nice. it your the favorite part of your movie involves the loudspeaker. <laughs> 
<laughs> also true. <laughs> it's used as a transition tool. It's used as a comedy piece. It's used as a bit of a look behind the scenes. Rick and I were just listening today to your episode. You were talking to Jonathan Howell. Jonathan nope, it was Howell? Thomas. Thomas. Oh, sorry. Thomas Howarth. Thomas Howarth. Sorry, I get all those names mixed up. Who's in the Navy? And they were, the loudspeaker had a bit about urine tests. Yeah. He's like, yeah, oh, that's yeah. really accurate. They test your urine for drugs, like, on a regular basis. So I like the kind of look behind the scenes into military life that you get from the loudspeaker and the comedy, the transition. I think it's used to great effect. And it was all done after the fact when they said, boy, we really need some uh, way to move from scene to scene in this. <laughs> like, not really flowing in the editing room. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> felt that. Rick and I were talking earlier about the movie and how... Maybe it transitions so well into a TV show because the movie seems to be more of a series of vignettes rather than an overarching plot. So yeah, a transition device is really handy. Now, had you guys seen the movie before agreeing to come on the podcast? No. <laughs> before agreeing to be on the podcast, we'd never seen the movie. Before sitting down today, we have watched it at least once. Yes, we did watch the movie as a whole, in addition to studying our minutes. And there were times where we were watching it where we did laugh. Okay, that's a good sign. That, that's not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did, so you didn't totally want to cringe and go into a it ball. It is a comedy. Long silence, many crickets. It is a comedy. So oh. laughter is appropriate. Julia was just ramping up. Hold on. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I'm not okay. going to. No, <laughs> I'm not going to rant or anything. I have to. And I did not like the movie. Okay. I don't think it ages well. I think it's, yeah, it's something. It's something. But I'm looking for the positive. I love the loudspeaker. Yeah. I like, and someone else said the loudspeaker was like their favorite character. So you're in oh, good company. Right. Yes. I recently watched um, CNN's The Movies, and they did the 70s. Side note, CNN, if you're listening... What is wrong with your programmer? Why are those not in chronological order? Or in backwards order? I oh don't even gosh. care. They're literally just doing them in random orders. I think they did it by what they thought most people would watch to try and like reel you in. But oh. uh, spoiler alert, CNN, I was going to watch them all anyway. And it's very clear if you watch the one that goes up to current day that they were intended to be shown chronologically. So anyway, that's my rant for the day. <laughs> Back to this minute. I agree. I am behind you on that. <laughs> In their 70s one, they talk about Animal House and what an important comedy it was, even though it hasn't aged well, even though there's bad stuff in it, because after all, it's kicked off this whole genre. And Megan, I thought of you and I thought of us and I thought of how we argue that actually MASH paved the way for stuff like Animal House, that you don't get that without, you don't get John Belushi without Robert Altman existing. <laughs> Like, making a comedy. Yeah, for sure. They really and that's something that, that I really love about looking backwards at these movies, kind of looking at movie history. When you get to look at, like, the big picture, you get to see these patterns and where things came from and the influences. That's something we've really enjoyed studying a bit in our own franchise. Watching those other movies, we, we have a movie that we watched for hiatus. It's called A Boy and His Dog. It's bad. It's so bad. Yeah. It's insulting <laughs> and horrific and has very few redeeming qualities to it. But that movie paved the way for Mad Max and it inspired George Miller to make Mad Max. So 
there's got to be something in there. Even if you don't like the movie, <laughs> there are things in there that are pulled and inspire the future. Oh, man, you want to talk about casual sexism? We can talk about a boy and his dog and some of the things that they do in that movie that would make Hawkeye and Duke and Trapper, that would make them blush. That wow. is not a title that would scares you, you off. No. Like, oh, it's about a boy and his dog. How heartwarming. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, like, false sense of security with a boy, a horse and his boy. <laughs> like, yes, that is a wholesome family-friendly story. And then you've got, who made a boy and his dog? I can't remember. It was Harlan Ellison. Yes. Trapping cool us. name. Yeah, Harlan Ellison was not a good guy. His writing is just horrendous when it comes to gender politics. And he swears up and down that he's not a sexist. But then you read his work and you're like, really, dude? Come on. Come clean. Instead of just calling it a boy and his dog, they could have called it a boy and his dog and the rape squads and the murder mutants and the forced insemination tables. You know, stuff like that that probably wouldn't go up on a marquee too well. So when you've got Hawkeye looking at a nurse and commenting how he needs her at the operating table and she needs to keep her breasts out of his way, that's kind of mild compared to the stuff that we've seen. Not to say that it's any less sexist, but it's actually kind of refreshing in how mild it is. Megan, I want you to brace yourself. I'm just going to rip the band-aid off while you're just, already horrified thinking about just that. Just do it. Just do it. Is Frank cool in this minute? Is Frank cool in this minute? Look I'm, at the look he gives the bed, and then he says, I probably, certainly am. And it, it, he's looking in her eyes, and he's nodding, and he just looked at the bed. and He's, the, he's going for suave, I think. If, if you could even want to use that word with Frank Burns. Well, I I knew this would be hard for you, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not hard. It's just out of character in a way, right? I guess it shows that even Frank Burns could have a little womanizer in him too, right? It's not just the guys in the swamp. It's everybody. It's like middle school there, right? So I guess he's just trying to. Megan, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I have middle school in my notes, but for something else. <laughs> <laughs> Right? I mean, everyone's going to know in like 10 minutes after this encounter happens what happened. So, you know. Okay. Gotta, he's got to play it cool. When she offers him licorice. I know, right? Who offers him licorice? Isn't that so, ever, like, that is such a middle school thing of, you want some gum? It you reminds me of in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off at the very end where <laughs> on the school bus, would you like a gummy bear? They've been in my pocket all day, so they're nice and squishy. <laughs> That's kind of what it reminded me of. I wanted Frank to in response to being offered licorice and say something along the lines of, no, I'm a Red Vines man or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about people who willingly eat licorice. It's like people who willingly drink Moxie. I love Ooh. Moxie. What? Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I like I'm I just like going to sit back and let the New Hampshireites battle. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> I'm neutral. Well, to be I've fair, had it. It's Tierney, fine. Tierney, I'm not really a New Hampshireite. Though it will remind me till the day I die I'm a flatlander because I'm from Massachusetts. Let's just, you know, let's, <laughs> just, put, let's just put it out there. Um, I love Moxie. Oh, I cannot stand that devil's drink. There is nothing better to me than to go to the Vermont country store and get Moxie in a glass bottle that's been in the ice chest all day. And you just pop it open and you sit on the porch with some penny candy and you drink Moxie. Yeah, Moxie is the kind of drink that only people who live up in Maine who have no modern amenities, their life is 
just boredom and the harsh elements and they drink a drink that reflects that. Julia's parents for a while lived in the town where they invented Moxie. Oh, cool. And my mother likes Moxie. Yeah, she's weird for it. Which disappoints me to no end because I am not a New Hampshireite. I am from Connecticut, which means okay. I'm of the snobbish class of New Englanders and I do not drink Moxie. Moxie's really good with vodka and rum, by the way. I mean, not together, right? I wouldn't put the rum and the vodka You gotta in pick one. You gotta pick one. But it's pretty good spike too. But yeah, drinking Moxie is essentially drinking licorice. It's, yeah, kind of. Well, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got kind of like bitter, like sarsaparilla. It's kind of like now, if I page. bite the ends off a Twizzler and use it as a straw in regular oh, soda, no, twi- twi- where twi- does twi- that fall on no, the scale? No, no, twi- Twizzlers <laughs> isn't even real licorice, really. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's not. It's yeah. Not. If you go to like an Italian grocery store, like in the North End, and you go and ask for licorice, you're gonna get like the hard candy kind of, which I like, think is super what she black. Has, it looks yeah, like. which is what she- Margaret has. Yeah, that's real licorice. That's like really intense stuff. Whew. Well, she's feeling really intense. I guess so. <laughs> she's feeling intense in her tent. Intense. Intense. Ah-ha. Intense. <laughs> intense. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying it. <laughs> like, Until we all laugh. That makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really confused by Margaret in this minute because she starts off holding the sheet up in front of her like that. I, I mean, I love the little like, okay, come in movement. <laughs> but it's kind of weird. And then as soon as she is able to turn it uh, against... You know, instead of this awkward, okay, you're in, so now what? She just starts ranting about the Swamp Men, and that, she kind of gets her confidence back. And then she offers him the licorice, which, again, it just makes me think of every time in middle school, it's like, hey, I have a mouth. You have a mouth. Let's, um, I'm going to offer you a mint. So, like, we're, like, thinking about our mouths, and, um, like, hi. <laughs> so, yeah, we bo- so we both have licorice breath. I had a question yeah. about the format of this licorice. Now, I only know licorice as, like, a gummy-type deal, but she seems to have a little tin of hard things. Yes, so they do make licorice, like, again, if you go to, like, an Italian, like, a real good Italian grocery store, you can get, like, a, it looks like an Altoid tin, and it has, like, hard candy licorice, so you just kind of suck at it like it's a Werther's, except it's black, so that's not really attractive if you're trying to make out with someone i think um it's like really intense so it like twizzlers would seem very sweet in comparison okay and i've been told it's good if you have an upset stomach like licorice is good for yeah i've heard that too for that it's a calming influence like ginger yeah so she's probably feeling a bit nervous about this uh nocturnal soiree (laughs) and so she's eating a little bit of licorice to calm her stomach even though it's going to make her tongue extremely black and her lips too, which again, maybe not the most attractive looking thing, but you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, I don't think Frank cares. Frank probably doesn't care either. Yeah. No, he is super into this. He's like, <laughs> hey lady, what's up? What's your story? <laughs> I love that the whole licorice thing, it feels nervous, like she's trying to calm her nerves by doing something that she's very familiar with. Because it's very clear he is there for a specific reason. And they both know it. Yeah. He was invited there. When he said, I'll swing by later to check in on you. Uh Uh-huh. This was prearranged. So she's had a lot of time to to be nervous. Hmm. Margaret. And I also think it probably helps to steady her to have something to do with her hands. Like, you kind of see her walking around her tent almost like she's looking for something to (laughs) do. Yes. (laughs) Other than 
Frank? (laughs) (laughs) It's that classic moment of, oh, what do I do with my hands? Well, there's lots of things you can do with your hands. I don't don't think she's been pre-gaming this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she's been warming herself up or anything like that. Look, I I do not stand on ceremony. I did try as I was going through and looking at minutes. I tried to make sure anytime there was a scene where a woman was treated horribly we got a female voice in to say hi not cool (laughs) most of the time like 95 percent of this movie just get ready for that because i did do it on purpose and then it's like okay who can you invite on for this scene well if you invite rick and julia it's a lot less awkward because there's like a strength in numbers thing going on (laughs) yeah it's a shame that in a such a large cast of male figures frank is the one that actually exhibits some mutual respect between adults when it comes to male-female interaction. Well, to that end, I agree with you. And comparing to the TV show, if I'm not mistaken, Frank and Hot Lips are the only ones in the whole camp that have a steady relationship. Oh, that's true. That's a really good point. And I will say, do I have to say spoilers for the TV show MASH? No. At some point, Margaret, she develops a relationship and marries someone else. And I have always thought Larry Linville did absolutely fabulously the whole way that storyline was handled. Where sometimes, I mean, like, they let him have his super whiny moments. But the whole idea that, like, this would be a hard adjustment. And she calls him out and is like, you've been married this whole time. He goes, well, yeah, but now you're, you know, you're changing the relationship. And I I was always really fascinated by that whole. And then they let him have the goodbye Margaret moment looking up at the helicopter. So just, I, you're right. There is a grown up respect between him and Margaret that doesn't exist elsewhere. And you know what's funny? If they weren't being such pigs all the time because they let that kind of develop between Margaret and Hawkeye on the show. Mm, yeah. Where after. they respect each other. Yeah, because of and that whole And theirs episode. it's great because they respect each other without any romantic complications of well, it. Well, yeah, sort of, kind of. Okay, one two-parter doesn't count. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it exists. Well, whereas Frank, he's not just in it for the sex, but I mean, he's here at this moment ready to chicka wow wow yeah. like i i don't know there's that weird i don't want to give him a total pass of oh my gosh she respects margaret because you know ever since she kissed him after writing the letter he has been like yeah this is happening <laughs> i'm glad you brought up the fact though that he is still married like as much respect as he's showing margaret he is showing incredible disrespect to his wife funny because he's All really the feeling the religiosity in this moment <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Instead of you complete me, you complicate, you complicate me. me. You complicate me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You confuse me. <laughs> I know, because if he's like so religious, you would think he would just want to keep it. Maybe not Mike Pence sort of, I need someone else in the room, but you know. Um, <laughs> Are you kidding? You know, Frank is the absolute kind of guy that would call his wife mother and his oh, wife would God, call him yes. pa or something like that. I think he does in the TV show. I, I was going to say. I yeah. think he I refer I think he refers Yeah, he refers to her as mother sometimes in the TV show. Oh god. And you're just like that, that just that just adds this icky layer of like not my cup of tea, but cool dude. Um the ugh. greatest amount of cringe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a heaping 
helping scoop of cringe just all over. Yeah. <laughs> Godless buffoons, all of them. <laughs> it's true, because even Hawkeye and Trapper and Duke are married, and, you know, especially Duke, not keeping in those pants, so, you know. <laughs> I, I don't want to say I respect or admire, because that has connotations, but I gotta, I gotta give it up for... A man that obvious about it. <laughs> That's true. At least, at least Duke's not, like, trying to hide it. I feel like Duke is very clear on uh, what's going on here. At least you're not getting any mixed signals from him. That's true. That's that's very true. He's a man that knows what he's about. Now, should he be about what he's about? No. No. But that is a <laughs> different problem. <laughs> and Margaret doesn't have any attachments, as far as we know. Like, they never mention anything. So, you know, she's in the clear. So, Peck and why would women have a backstory? I know. <laughs> right. She's, she's, she's married to her duty. She's, she's married to the army. Well, yes, but, you know, I mean, that doesn't matter quite as much as Frank cheating on his wife to have sex with, you know, someone. So, army doesn't care as long as she shows up, right? Oh, yeah. And they're of equal rank, so this is okay. This is okay if we're not military getting wise. Right. They're not fraternizing. So. Exactly, that's the word I was looking for. They're not well, fraternizing. I mean, they're, they are, they're but they're not. They're definitely going to be fraternizing, but they are, they are in the clear, at least as far as the army is concerned. Yeah, it's a little less sticky than the corporal messing around with a nurse. Because there's a major power imbalance there. We're going to see some nurses. Not yet, though. So far, it's all Margaret all the time. How are we feeling about minute 42? I have nothing to add. And I asked you guys your MASH origin story, which I always bug people for, because the TV show was such a huge part of American culture that it just kind of carries the movie along into this is important stuff. Uh, it, it's like, um, remember the Mitch Hedberg joke that you should be able to eat a carrot with an onion ring? Because then when it got to your stomach, the carrot would be like, it's okay, he's with me. And that way it would be healthy. <laughs> and I feel like that's joke. kind of... Yeah, Robert Altman is a famous director, but I feel like if there hadn't been a famous TV show, MASH, this movie would be so obscure. Like, some people would still remember it, but... Okay, right along those same lines, I, and Julia, don't get mad at me for saying this, I see the MASH movie akin to the first Mad Max movie that was released in 1979, whereas the MASH TV show is like Mad Max to the Road Warrior. Everybody is familiar with the Road Warrior, and not as many people have seen Mad Max from 1979. I feel it's a very similar situation to MASH the movie versus MASH the TV show. I can agree with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to let the expert weigh in before yeah. I said, oh my god, that's brilliant. <laughs> because the casual fan who's only aware of Road Warrior might be surprised to learn that there's an earlier Mad Max movie. Mm -hmm. The same way someone who just grew up in America in the 80s might be like, or 70s, might be like, what? There was a movie? But it doesn't take much digging to find out like, oh yeah, this is a sequel. You know, yeah. it's not like this is obscure information. But yeah, I think that is absolutely on the nose. Without the TV show, this movie would be something that only, you know, film majors studied. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being so awesome, it has the Movies by Minutes podcast about it. Uh, awesome isn't the right word. <laughs> awesome is a weird word to use. But for all that I totally understand the critiques of this movie, the more I watch it, the more I like it. I mean, the more I watch it, the more I, like, can't unsee the things that I do. 
Roll my eyes. Is it a, is it a, is it a love hate relationship, Charity? Trapper and I have some it, like <laughs> because Elliot Gould is doing so good in this movie, oh, but he's, he's so good. good at playing a character who I've really come to detest. So <laughs> it's interesting. But yeah, I and you know what? My favorite book is a series of chapters, each of which can function as its own short story. But then they all do kind of tie together and like one person walks in the background of another chapter and then you get their whole story. And so I think the vignettes, like you said, of the movie really work for me. Like that's just my brain is totally on board with that. I'm talking about Tales of the South Pacific by James Michener. I probably haven't plugged it in, you know, a couple of a whole half hours. So I figured I would <laughs> just mention that again. Just keep an eye out for the Amazon affiliate link to buy it. Get a little bit of kickback on your re- on your recommendation. Ooh, I would not mind that. But speaking of buying things and Megan and I getting a little kickback, <laughs> how's that for a transition? There you go. We have a tea public store now. Woohoo! Megan, I am looking at a t-shirt. And it says Mash Minute on it. And it's our logo. It's a thing. And you got it for me for my birthday. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, I got you the one that says the joke about how it's, you know, not just the movie. The movie. Okay, sometimes the TV show. (laughs) Okay, like 50% of the time the TV show. (laughs) Okay, we talk about a minute of the movie and how it relates to the TV show. (laughs) It it happens. It's gonna happen because that's how we came to Mash, right? It was the TV show, and then. But yeah, if you check out our website mashminute.com, there is now something under the merch link. We did it! Yay. It's very exciting. It's real. It's real. It's real. And it's just in time for Portland, which is coming up in a few days. Rick and Julia, I'm gonna get to see you guys, IRL. <laughs> yes, it's our yearly get together, and I am so excited for it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's our yearly get-together, except it's my first year. (laughs) Tierney, this may be an odd question, but have we really never met in person before? I feel like we have. Well, we aren't cool, and we don't hang out with the Boston crew of MXMers. When they get together to go see concerts and stuff, we don't go. Maybe maybe I just have seen so many pictures of you and spoken to you so many times that I feel like I've met you. I do never shut up. So it's fair. <laughs> Hopefully next year it will be somewhere east of the Mississippi. Oh yeah, I've got my fingers crossed for Philadelphia. Yeah, I think there's a very soft rumor. In December, I will be in Philly, not for a Movies by Minutes meetup, but for PAX Unplugged. Woohoo! I am going to that. So if you are going to Movies by Minutes Portland... Let me know. And if you are going to PAX Unplugged in Philly, let me know. And maybe Megan will be there. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Good job. Good job. I just figured I'd put it on the air so you felt the pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Let's do it. We went to PAX Unplugged what, two or three years ago. It was the first year they did it. Yeah, the first oh, year. I was there too. And then I couldn't go last year because baby. It was so much fun. It's like my it favorite was fun. packs. It's my favorite packs. I've only been to two, but you know. It's your favorite of the two. That is totally fair. It's totally fair. I'm a board game fanatic. Woo. Yeah, I have to I have to agree. I'm more of a board gamer than a video gamer. Yeah, like I like PAX East. It's fun. My husband has a great time. But then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out at Tabletop Central. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> so PAX Unplugged was basically made for you. Pretty much. Yeah. This is the only time I told my husband we're doing something and he was like, yeah, okay. Wow, you want to do this? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
he was like, okay, so, and I was like, I'm good, I already booked the hotels, I'm, I, you know, he's like, okay, so, uh, I'll just show up, and I was like, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is indeed the answer we yes, were indeed, looking for. Indeed. You get a gold star, okay. <laughs> well, speaking of gold stars, we see a gold star, uh, no, it's not a star, it's oh. the major, it's the little, uh, symbol on Margaret's uniform when it's hanging up in front of her. She clutches the curtain, but you know what? By the end of this minute, I think she's feeling a little bit more confident. Mm. Think she's feeling a little bit more like something's about to happen. In minute 43. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we don't have an outro. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh...